I'm Michelle, certified personal trainer and certified nutrition coach. And I'm Marissa, and I'm a certified nutrition coach and group fitness instructor. And this is the Strong and Simple Podcast. We're tackling the latest fads, trends, and hot topics in the nutrition, wellness, and fitness industries using science and conversation to bust myths and give you the information you need to navigate the bullshit. Tune in for your twice a week truth bombs every Tuesday and Friday. We, Michelle Farrell and Marissa Zabo of the Strong and Simple Podcast, reside on Pawtucket land. We acknowledge the land and the Pawtucket people, as well as the land and the people of the many Native nations of whom the land belongs. To respect and honor them and their land, as well as to be mindful of the harm colonialism has and continues to do on the Indigenous people of the United States and the world. This land acknowledgement is our commitment to support Indigenous peoples and their voices in the struggle against systemic oppression and for human rights, as well as to push against the cancelling and erasure of their history, their stories, their culture, and their present. We encourage you to visit native-land.ca to discover whose land you are residing on, as well as ways to support Indigenous folks. Hey everyone, this is Michelle Farrell of the Strong and Simple Podcast, and I am very excited to be joined by my co-host Marissa Zabo and our very, very special guest today, Saravi Veach, who is the owner of The Passionate Physio, a virtual physiotherapy and fitness coaching business, helping people gain strength, confidence, and trust in their bodies through pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. She encourages people to ditch the all or nothing mindset and practice movement that is sustainable and fits the life you have now. She offers both one-on-one services and her base fitness membership, which delivers quick and effective home workouts for moms who wanna feel strong, athletic, and confident in their bodies. So excited to have you on tonight because I just love your approach to working with moms and how you have that um, busting through that all or nothing mindset. So thank you so much for being here with us today. Well, thank you very much for having me both, but both of you, Michelle and Marissa, I, as I hear you kind of introduce me, it's always interesting because it's true. All of those things are true, but it's very impactful to hear it out loud because I know that this is what I needed when I was a new mom and I know that this is what so many people need when they enter this transition from, you know, no kids to kids. And each new kid you have in your life is a new stress, a new um, time suck in some ways. And so it's like a new way of like, how do I fit in exercise? How do I keep doing the things that I want to do in my life? And it's not just that it's how do I do it when I feel broken in my body or I'm struggling with leaks or I have low energy and all of the other things that come with the physicality of pregnancy and postpartum. So that is kind of how I got into the work that I do. Um, I am a mom of two young children. My first will be four this weekend. I cannot believe it. Um, and I just actually recorded a podcast episode of her birth story. Oh. And I was, as I was reading that, I was like, I don't even remember this. And then I'm <laughs> like, but then you do, you know, it doesn't seem like four years ago. And in some ways it feels like she's been a part of our lives forever. Yeah. And then my son is 
eight, 19 months. So he is, they're both just starting to play together a little bit more. I'm out of that postpartum phase. Um, still feel foggy because it's exhausting that first year and a year and a half of like sleep deprivation and your body's still recover, recovering and healing. Um, but I know that my experience is so much better after my second child because of the knowledge that I have and the experience that I have in pregnancy and postpartum. So my background is physiotherapy. I've been a physiotherapist for 11 years and I live in Toronto, Canada. So I work, worked in clinic with, within orthopedics, within sports medicine. And I kept noticing that women were usually the ones, especially mothers were usually the ones who wouldn't get better or wouldn't do their exercises would be non-compliant quote unquote to the therapy. They wouldn't come back when they're supposed to. And I just didn't get it because when you don't have kids or maybe I was just young too, I was like 25 when I started working. Um, I just didn't get it. I was like, I don't understand why. And then I became a mom myself and I'm like, wow, it's not just that you don't want to do your exercises. There's so much else to it, both physically symptoms, time, like lack of time, lack of support, and also your mental health, everything ties in together. And when I went to see a pelvic physiotherapist, cause I was the good physio, I went to see a pelvic physio during pregnancy. And I was like, yep, I'm so prepared. And I had a wonderful, magical birth experience. So I thought that because of that, I was going to escape any postpartum issues. And that was like far from the truth. I still ended up with leaking and prolapse and diastasis. I'm, I'm a short person at a big bump. So everything is stretched. My core felt so weak. And I also had a really challenging first pregnancy where I had complications that I couldn't exercise. I was, I wasn't on bed rest or anything, but I was terrified to move my body. And so there was a huge fear element along with it too. And this is, you know, I'm somebody who is fairly athletic, not competitive by any means. Like I used to ski race, cross-country ski race and run a lot more, but now it's just for pleasure, right? Like I love moving my body. I think it's fun. And I went from being that to a sedentary pregnancy to a postpartum where I felt like my athleticism was taken from me. Mm. And so I just did nothing. It was like that all or nothing mindset. I was like, I'm doing nothing because I can't do anything. And that was a really hard experience for me to go through, to understand that just because I couldn't do everything doesn't mean I couldn't do something. And so it was in my second pregnancy that I started getting into more pregnancy and postpartum stuff, the pandemic hit, I was learning from a lot of people on social media. I started taking more courses in pelvic health and I was like, I need to create something that bridges this huge gap where people are going to pelvic physio, they're getting their Kegels they're getting their like basic exercises, but that's not getting them back to sport. That's not getting them back to the functional lifestyle that they need. And traditional fitness also misses the mark unless there's specialized training in prenatal postnatal, because it's not just, you know, you work hard and you get the results that you want. You can work hard and then your kid is sick for a month. And then there you go. You can work hard and you know, you have a mastitis, right? Like you, there's all of these other things, or you end up with postpartum depression or anxiety, which I had, and I didn't know I had And my, after my first, it was only in hindsight that I realized that that was a big contributor to a lot of my struggles too. So, you know, I really find that respecting a person's humanity in all of it is important. And in my work with people, I make 
I take the time to get to know people so that I understand all of the factors that influence who they are. And that allows me to help them find uh, strategies and exercises that they'll actually do, that they'll actually want to do. And when they want to do it and they do it, they get better faster. And, you know, a lot of people who are athletic, they, they don't want to go back to basics. It's boring. Like it's super boring, but I find them ways that they can incorporate it in their day while they're cooking or while they're playing with their baby so that they don't feel like they have to set aside half an hour for Kegels or like super boring bridges or something. They're just like, Oh, this is the, this is what I do when my baby plays. And it's just more paired with their life. Um, and I'm really finding that it is again, very impactful because I can see how effective their recoveries are when they have this support through their journey. Mm. Um, and that's something that I wish I had. (laughs) I feel like, um, you know, so here I live just North of Boston. So doesn't Marissa, um, Massachusetts and so many of my friends, I do not have kids myself, but so many of my friends who, and my sister, and I'm like, have you gone to a pelvic floor physiotherapist? And they don't even know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. They've never, that was never even mentioned to them throughout their, their whole pregnancy, throughout their and postpartum. And it's just like when they tell their, you know, their OBGYN, you know, I'm now leaking or they, their OBGYN tells them they have prolapse. They just think that's just like something they need to live with for forever and ever. And that um, it's not even a suggestion of, well, why don't you go see this um, specialist this person. to actually yeah. help you? Um, well, and that is it for like, there's from the like top down approach. Like, so whether you have an OB or midwives, I find midwives are generally pretty good at that, that, mm-hmm. but with, in the medical profession, there's this, like, I know best and I'm, I'm generalizing. And I know that that's not true for everyone, but there's this like, Oh, I know what you need. It'll get better over time. Mm-hmm. I always tell people leaks usually don't get better over time. They get worse. Mm-hmm. Weakness doesn't get better over time. Yes, of course, you will strengthen as you're lifting and carrying your toddler and moving around, but you're strengthening the muscles that are generally going to be strong anyways. So Mm -hmm. if I have trouble getting up off the floor because my core and pelvic floor aren't supporting me, I'll compensate for it with my quads, but my core and pelvic floor will still stay weaker, relatively speaking. And so really, I, I think the big thing that we have to do as people who are having children has advocating for ourselves. And I wish we didn't have to fight for ourselves to get proper care, to be seen as freaking humans. Right. It's like, um, you just had a baby. Why are you getting worse care than somebody who had a ACL tear or a hip replacement or a shoulder rehab or shoulder surgery? Right. It's like shoulder is like one joint. Your core and your pelvic floor is literally the center of your entire body. And it's impacted in everything that you do. And so it's really frustrating, but at the same time, we're not there yet. I know it's 2022, but we're not at the point where it's set standard of care. And I work virtually, which is a huge access thing. Like I can support people who live in remote communities who have no, um, spouse or partner or family support to watch their kids so they can go to appointments, you know, people with multiple children who like, honestly, leaving the house with a new baby is hard. So mm-hmm. I, like I told many people, why didn't you go for physio? I know why they didn't go. It's hard. You're just hanging in there to get through the day. 
you're barely eating meals. Sometimes you're skipping meals, you're getting smoothies and like, that's not enough. Mm -hmm. And so people are depleted nutritionally. They're underhydrated. They're not pooping. Well, it's all of these other pieces and it's wearing on their mental health and their physical health. And then they don't want to add anything else to their plate. So this, the way I support people is like in the middle of their day, I don't want you to work a whole day or like spend the whole day with your kid and then come to see me in the evenings. I don't want to take up your weekends weekends. Literally their baby will be playing or they'll be feeding their baby. We're starting our appointment. We can get in a workout just then and there. And I really make it as accessible as possible to them. There's tons of pelvic health physios who work virtually as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that that like pan, the pandemic has actually improved access to care for a lot of people and everyone thinks, Oh, but don't I need to go see somebody in person? do you right? Like if, if the reason is you're not going because it's too hard, is it not better to see somebody virtually and not everybody needs somebody to stick their fingers up them in order to learn how to do a Kegel. Like, I'm pretty sure we all know how to do one because it's the right cues that you need. Just like, I don't need to move your elbow for you to teach you how to do a bicep curl. You know, we just trust that your body's going to know how to do it. I think there's a lot of lack of trust too, in women's health, like, Oh, you won't be able to do it unless I show you, or like this patriarchal model where you won't be able to figure out unless you see a specialist who's going to tell you exactly how to do it. I don't want you to see me because you want me to tell you exactly how to do things. I want to, I want you to see me so I can guide you through your own body so that you can be the expert. Like I like teaching people, okay, if you have pain here, what do you think you can do to alleviate it? Remember these exercises I showed you, like, these are things that you can try when you have pain from, you know, breastfeeding your child or sitting at a desk all day. And I really think that empowering people with that knowledge is huge because nobody is going to, physios are always going to exist. Fitness world, we're always going to exist. It's not like I'm afraid they're going to, you know, never need me again. It's that I think that generally when we feel more confident and empowered in our bodies, we show up as better people. We show up as better parents. Mm -hmm. We are kinder to everybody. We're kinder to ourselves. It is kind of a ripple effect on the rest of our lives. You know, I see a lot of angry moms and moms that are resentful and drained and burnt out. And like, I'm burnt out, even though I have really good support at home and really good, you know, like I have all of the other stuff, but you're, it's still exhausting to be a parent. So imagine you don't have all of the other support and you're feeling like crap in your body and all of the other stuff. How do you treat other humans? How do you treat your kids? How do you raise your kids? Mm-hmm. So the impact of supporting humans in this phase is like widespread because you're raising tiny babies and humans and mm-hmm. who they become is a byproduct of who's raising them. Um, so that's kind of my philosophy with it all. And I think that you're so right. And, and, you know, you're in the States, I'm in Canada. I don't think it's any better in Canada. Mm. I think people still have to pay out of pocket here or through their insurance. It's not public. We have publicly funded, um, healthcare for things like medicine, like your doctor's checkups are covered by your provincial you know, mm-hmm. health plan, but physio is not. So really, yeah, it's really sad. So you can get, for example, if you have a hip replacement and you end up in a hospital, you can get a few sessions of physio covered, but -hmm. if you have a baby, whether it's a cesarean vaginal birth, whether it's a surgical, huge interventions, you do not get physio covered. It's paid out of pocket. So yeah, we have a long way to go. And there's a lot of like on my my page, my Instagram account, the passion of physio. Like I really try to empower people with 
you know, not taking no for an answer, seeking better care because we deserve it. I think that's, you know, this morning I was so frustrated because I saw Facebook is like my nightmare. I I really, (laughs) really don't like Facebook and I feel like it attracts like the most, I don't know, just a certain type of person. And I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that, but like there's these, there's this mom who's like, Oh, um, I'm delivering at this hospital. Who's the best, you know, who, which OBs do you recommend? And it is sad to see the responses because people are like, Oh, Dr. So-and-so he's really good at what he does, but you know, he has terrible bedside manners, but I don't really care about that because he's really good at what he does. And I'm like, but you should care about that. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, you're either good at cutting me open or you're nice to me. It should be both, both. Right. Like we can't, we can't expect so little from our, from our healthcare professionals, like they're working for us, but in Canada, because I think it's publicly funded, there's this feeling of like, Oh, I don't have to pay for it anyway. So, but you are paying for it with your tax dollars. So Mm -hmm. I don't know, demand better is what I will say. And I understand like that, that alone has a lot of privilege too, because we know that in America and we don't have race-based data in Canada, which is a huge problem because the same, yeah, they don't collect this information, which is why we looked American stats a lot because it exists. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we know that black moms are at a higher risk of dying during birth. And so are their infants. And so some people may not feel as empowered to ask questions or ask for better care. And that alone is an issue. Mm-hmm. And so but I always say, I'm like, if white moms are afraid to ask those questions, imagine how much harder it is for people who are at maybe a lower socioeconomic bracket, have a disability, are vis- visually look different or quote unquote different. Um, you know, there's so many barriers to care. And I really think that if those of us who have some privilege aren't demanding better, then we are making it worse for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I went with midwives myself. I had a low risk birth overall. Like I was under, I was under the geriatric age when I had both my babies. Um, and yeah, I had 35, but you know what? They recently upped it to 40 and I asked my midwife, I'm like, what is with the geriatric thing? Like she said, it's because of risk of cardiovascular disease and then that impacting the blood flow to the placenta. So I'm like, so technically if you are, if you have a good cardio like system and blood flow, she's like, yeah, you know, there are some people who are in very great shape and not like just your aesthetics. I'm talking about like your cardiovascular health Mm -hmm. who at 30 at 40, 45 are probably better off than some people in their twenties. Right. So I know there's other risks, but it is generally like we're noticing in Toronto, you know, it's a big city. There's probably average age of babies, like going up to your mid to late thirties. There's lots of first time moms in their early forties. And we know our energy is worse in our thirties and in our twenties. Like, and yeah, it is like, I'm, you know, I'm 36 and like, I'm thinking if I was 25, when I had kids, I would have way more energy. Like, (laughs) you know, it's, it is different. And we have to honor that too. We have to honor that your healing time may be a little bit longer. Your energy levels may be lower. So I'm not going to give you, you know, a hard 45 minute intense workout and then have you feeling drained for the rest of the week. Um, especially when you're like, I, with my first child, I was getting an hour and a half in a row for sleep. And then I'd wake up to feed her. And I would totally sleep maybe six hours max, five to six hours, and some days three to four hours. And so 
I don't encourage waiting for a perfect sleep before you start working out because that doesn't exist for a long time for most people. So I, I still show people how to weave in exercises throughout their day so that it boosts their energy and it doesn't drain them while also like making you feel like, oh, I feel like I did something today. I'm, I'm getting something out of like <laughs> this workout and it's not just like super basic. So yeah, it's um, been a lot of kind of trying di- different things and seeing what works both for me personally and with my clients. And then also seeing meeting people where they are. Cause yeah. some people are at, like I, I worked with a mom recently who was 12 days postpartum when I first saw her and she's six weeks now and she's already doing really like solid full body strengthening exercises. And then there's other people who are at eight months and they're not there yet. Right. Mm-hmm. So like really no comparison between each other, even between children and just seeing you where you're at. And I think this applies to even people who've never had children, right? We are always so quick to compare our bodies to your, your friend or your sister or your aunt, or like whoever you see in your, your studio or your gym. And it's, there's no value in doing that. You're just a totally different person and you can try as hard as you want. You're not going to do, you know, I wish I could build on, put on muscle mass more easily. Sure. Mm -hmm but that's not my body type. You know, it's just a lot of practicing acceptance too, which I think is hard. Mm-hmm. I never, never thought about these things until I had a baby. I think that's the other thing is when we talk about our weight changes through, through our life, women's bodies change, everyone's bodies changes, but pregnancy and postpartum is a single greatest, like immediate change. Pregnancy slow. You're stretching, but overnight you have a baby and you go from this big to then that baby's not in there anymore, but your belly is still all floppy and loose. And to some, I'm 19 months postpartum and it's still bigger and it's still kind of floppy. It's my second child. And it's accepting that that is how it is. And nobody tells you when you're trying for kids that, Hey, these might be the things that are you ready for, to accept these things? Are you ready to accept that? Your body may permanently, well, I'm not even going to say may, it will permanently change yep. in some way yeah. or the other. Um, we, we always focus on like, I just want a healthy baby, but like, are you also, if you have body image issues, if you have eating disorders, like these are the things that I really recommend with my clients, like see a therapist, see your doctor, start working on this stuff before you're tr- like, while you're trying to conceive when you're pregnant so that when you're postpartum, it's a little bit easier, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's so many, I think elements to a person, whether you're pregnant not or not, or postpartum or not, but specifically to this, um, population, there's so much that is missed and, yeah. you know, there's one or two follow-ups postpartum just to check your stitches. If you have stitches or your scar, and then it's like, okay, six weeks, you can return Bye. to sex. and physical activity. And you're like, are you kidding? Like kudos to anybody who returned to sex at six weeks, but like, (laughs) it's so exhausting. Your body just feels off. It's, there's a lot of like insecurity and shame in your body too, when your body's changed so drastically. And I wish it didn't exist, but that is how it is for a lot of us growing up in this culture where, you know, the bot human female bodies only like revered when it looks a certain way. Um, and it makes it really hard. It makes yeah, it really hard for us. It doesn't help that all 
the the marketing and societal messages are like get your pre baby body back this is how you do this and now you have um you know a lot of multi-level marketing companies that are like you know um with all these sales reps pretending to be experts on you know and it worked for me to get flat abs again and that's what you should want um so the pressure to look a certain way and feel a certain way after having a baby or after having multiple babies is 20 fold the pressure. I mean, most women feel pressure to look a certain way anyways. Um, and then when your body doesn't snap back, quote unquote, then it's like, well, how come I must not be working hard enough? I must not be doing the right things. I'm broken. And then that feeds you're already tired. You're probably underfed and it's, oh, it's a, it's a recipe for disaster. And I think that like, I hear it in my patients, my clients too. It's like, they'll say things and, and I'm like, I can recognize as an objective bystander that like they need some help with their mental health, but they're not there yet. And someone can tell you and recommend and suggest, but if you're in denial, I think there's a lot of denial, to be honest. It's like, you know, I want to get back to so-and-so, you know, postpartum. I want to get back to all of these hobbies, even my hobbies. Like I can't go rock climbing because it takes minimum. Like when my husband and I used to go, it'd be three hours, right? We take turns going up and down and we don't have three hours, three times a week. We just don't, especially together, right? (laughs) Like it's, we, I can't go for a long bike ride anymore. And so there's a lot of like, there's all or nothing mindset in terms of like, athletes going hard and wanting to do like over go overboard with their workouts and not honoring their body, not honoring their feedback and then ending up injured, like severe, more injured. And then there's also the all or nothing where people literally give up because they can't do it all. So they do nothing. And I think that both extremes I see, I see a lot of people doing nothing and it's, and it's especially concerning in athletes and people who were once athletic. And I'm not even talking about like, I didn't play any sports. I'm, I'm a runner skier. I did a lot of endurance sports for anyone who identified as someone who's active to take that part of your identity away is like hard on your body. Cause not only now do you have a new baby and like your life is completely flipped upside down, your hobbies are gone. Even your friends change because the people in your life who aren't in the same life stage, just, you don't have anything as much to relate to them with, especially in that first year postpartum. So all of it's taken away and now even your hobbies. So there was a lot of mourning during that period. And I think we need to allow for that. I need to, I think that needs to happen because then you can learn to embrace new activities and even get back to some of those activities, but maybe in a modified or, you know, I I might go climbing out once a month. Right. And that's okay. I've accepted that and that I'm happy with that, but there was a lot of work to get from where I was to where I am now. And for anyone who's, you know, feeling broken in their body, like physically or body image issues. Like I will say this, like I used to be very thin. I was always made fun of for being too thin. This was like pre-kids and then postpartum after my first, I bounced back quote unquote, but on the outside, on the inside, I was leaking. I had prolapse. I felt pressure in my vagina all the time. I felt awful in my body, but everyone seemed to just care that I bounced back. So constantly everywhere I'd go, Oh my God, you don't even look like you had a baby as if it was a compliment. And that would be really hurtful to me because I was like, you don't care about how I feel. You just care about this. But this time after my second, 
I am much heavier. I'm still small on the grand scheme, but like I am bigger, but I feel so good, but nobody's telling me, oh, you look great. So it's this huge, like mental game, because even for me, I'm like, oh, do I need to lose weight? And I'm like, I don't, I know logically I don't, but it's this three decades of like telling you, you have to be, you know, have flat abs, you have to lose this fat. And so there's a lot of constant work. And, you know, one of my friends who's a fitness coach, you might know her. She's a mummy fitness and Nemesis Graham. She said she used this um, analogy. She's like, it's like learning a different language. And I think she read it somewhere. So she quoted somebody else. I'm quoting her. Um, she's like, it's like learning a new language and the new language is like accepting your body. And so if you have practiced this language for so long, your second language, you might still be thinking in your first language it might take you years to practice that second language and start thinking in that second language. When something's hard, you might go back to learning in your first or speaking in your first language and then having to translate it to your second. And so the longer you speak that second language, the more natural it's going to feel. And that's, I think a really great analogy because I, that's what I feel. It's like, I'm practicing that second language and I have been for years, but yeah. it hasn't been 30 years. Right. So giving myself compassion and grace for when I'm feeling like some sort of way. And then also focusing on taking action in a way that makes me feel good, no matter what, right. Prioritizing feeling good ultimately is women deserve to feel good. You know, there's a lot of like lack of self-worth in, in women period in people with, you know, vulvas and vaginas period. And add to that your mom, there's this expectation of like martyrdom and like your, as long as your baby's perfect, your house is perfect and they look cute and pigtails doesn't matter. Right. Mm -hmm. But nobody, nobody really, that doesn't add to your happiness in any way if you feel awful. So whether it's eating foods that taste good, doing things that, you know, wearing things that feel cozy or nice or make you feel good, like all of those things I think can add to a person's well being postpartum too. I, I have clients who will put on a full face of makeup every day because that's how they feel best, right? And that's not me, but I respect that because it's their way of staying kind of true to themselves, mm-hmm. you know? And then I have other clients who are like, I'm still going out and meeting up with my friends for a drink once a week because that's my way of like staying true to myself. Mm-hmm. And there might be months where you don't do any of that because you are in that early postpartum phase. And I always tell people like, it will pass, it will get easier, but this part is hard and it's okay to hate it or not like it. Um, because I'll I'll happily say like, obviously I love my children and I loved them as babies, but I also am so glad that phase is done (laughs) because it was freaking hard. And I so rather, rather this toddler preschooler phase, they can communicate more. I don't have to carry them around all the time. Um, it's just more enjoyable. There's more joy, there's more fun. And so that first year is like in Canada, we have maternity leave, which is huge. I know in the States that there's really not great maternity leave at all. If any, (laughs) here we get 18 months, you can take unpaid or paid the pay is like minimal. It's not enough for anybody who lives in any metropolitan area, but it's something. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're an employee, if you're self-employed, you don't get that unless you pay into it separately, but 
if you're taking 12 to 18 months off with, to be with your child and their your baby is barely communicating or like, you know, mm-hmm. not interacting in the same way, it can be boring too. So having a way to connect to your like favorite activities, your sports, someone maybe getting a group of moms together who all like to go for walks or hikes, mm-hmm. having a group of moms who go like to go dancing, like having that community, whether it's virtual or in person, I think is key. It gets you through that hard part of your life. And you may never see them after that first year because that's what bonded you together. And now that you're past that phase, you may be like, yeah, we're pretty different people. But at least for that first year, having someone who you can relate to is I think really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, that support system that exactly like you said, that can relate and empathize in a way that somebody who is not, maybe not even somebody who has kids, but who isn't even currently living in that moment. Cause once yeah. you're not even in that moment anymore, you know, memories are fleeting and you're already onto a new, Absolutely. new time frame with, um, new challenges and new celebrations. So yeah, I can see how having, I mean, that support group is really, really important. Um, and I, you're so right. Because even now I'm like out of that baby phase and I'm not as like, I, I can't relate in the same way. Of course I remember, but it doesn't feel as hard. Like it was that hard. Although I know at the time I was like, this is the worst thing ever. I slept like one hour last night, you know? So I think that it is important to find people who are going through it together because you can end up feeling otherwise, like you're something's wrong with you. Like you're the one making a big deal out of it. Like it's not actually true. I'm like, no, it is true. What you feel is true. And if your best friend had a baby, like I had a close friend who had her first child a few days after my first child and her baby was sleeping through the night at six weeks postpartum. And she was like, yeah, it's not bad. She takes three hour naps. And I, I hang out, watch TV. And I'm like, I literally have not turned the TV on because this child is so sensitive to any sound. She will wake up the second any noise is made. I couldn't even sit down. I had to either keep walking her in her stroller or keep rocking her and carrying her. Like it was a completely different experience that I had. And it was triggering for me to hear a friend who was supposed to go through the same thing with me have a completely different experience. And it was to no fault of her own. It was just how it is. And so really having friends who are going through similar challenges can be great. And also having friends, I will say, I don't think you should only have mom friends. Cause I think mom communities can tend to be really supportive or like really detrimental. Like that Facebook group that I was telling you about, I don't want to be in a group that tells me to accept sub- subpar care. I don't want to be in a group that tells me, Oh, you're leaking. Well, that's just how it is because that's what a lot of moms end up doing is because that's what they've been told. And they're passed on that message of like, I don't know what the opposite of hope is, I guess, despair. Like it just is very hopeless. Right. So I, I, yeah, you have to be cautious with that is like, even finding one person is better than like having a group of 10 people that make you feel like crap. Right. Yeah. And you'll probably, I know both of you, like in just in life, I think that's true, right? It's like, whether you're in the business world or the fitness world or, you know, teaching whatever industry you're in, it's like, there are people who can uplift you and then there are people who can drain you. So, you know, right now I have more energy for people who drain me, but in that early postpartum phase, no, like boundaries, really hard, 
Mm. Like no to anybody who is going to make me feel worse or just add to that negativity in any way. Right. So it's like a, you really have to build a bubble around you. And the pandemic was in some ways great for that because it limited your social outings. It forced you to spend time with only those who you trusted and loved. Um, and then of course there's again, a lot of privilege in saying that because a lot of people still had to go to work in jobs that were low paying and they didn't have, you know, in healthcare industry, like a lot of people were mistreated, right. By like frontline workers are constantly yelled at and harassed. And so there's a lot of like, yeah, there, it, it could go either way, but I think for me and for a lot of my clients, it has been nice to have that bubble and yeah. feel less pressure to, like the less Pinterest worthy lunches, less Pinterest worthy parties, birthday parties, and just like, Oh, my kids just like to go to the park. All right. That's what we're going to do. We don't have to plan this big, like event around it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that comparison culture too. I think uh, you bring up Pinterest because I feel like Pinterest is such a, can be such a resource, but it can also be like such a, I mean, particularly in fitness. So, you know, I have my Pinterest business page, whatever. So primarily what is shown to me all day long, if I happen to look at my home feed, which I try not to do is all that Fitzpo. And oh yes, um, it's really, it's actually a pretty good reminder because over on Instagram, I've created a very curated feed. Um, so sometimes <laughs> I forget how yucky it is same it's so true in real life or not even real life in and outside your bubble right and like I've, I've gotten back and forth about this I'm like is it bad that I'm creating this like safe bubble and like but like I don't think it is because why should I constantly expose myself to negative messaging or not even negative but stuff that I don't like value or believe in right it's I don't know it's you're so right. I was at a, I spoke at this like mom group recently and I just, um, you know, talked about like typical lifting postures, how to manage your core and pelvic floor and how to manage your pressure, reduce symptoms. And I was like, wow, there's, we like mothers aren't really united. I don't think they should be united because that's a lot of different people with a lot of like, that's like saying everybody's the same is we're not moms are not the same. So I don't work with all types of moms. I work with people who want to move their bodies, who enjoy moving their bodies, who maybe deal with some symptoms, who, um, are a little bit more like independent or like they want to advocate for themselves and they have the interest to kind of change the world. Like people who are like, yeah, I'm not willing to accept substandard care. But there are a lot of people who are so happy being in like that victim mode. Oh yeah, I just am like this. And I'm not even saying they're happy being that, but they're comfortable being stuck Mm. in that phase. And it doesn't matter how much you can, you can support them all day long. They will not get out of that until they choose to get out of that. And so when I think about like, because I'll get the random like DM, not from people who follow me on Instagram, because I'm pretty clear about who I am on Instagram, but it'll be like Facebook, right? Somebody will recommend me on a Facebook group and I'll get like a discovery call or alignment call. And, and I'm like, wow, we are not a good fit at all, but they just think, oh, you're physio, your coach, pregnancy, postpartum. Okay. You're going to help me lose weight and get toned and, um, you know, lose like eight sizes. And I'm like, no, like at all. 
but Mm -hmm. there are people who are selling that. Like you said, your Pinterest, sometimes I'll sign on to Facebook and I'll see these ads, right? It's like the person's like size zero and people forget that it's genetics. Like the reason I lost all the weight after my first child is I did nothing different. It's just genetics. I'm just like my mom. She, after her first, after my brother, she looked the same after me, she was bigger. Mm. And I happened to do the same. My mom never worked out. So I was like, maybe it's because she never exercised. I do makes no difference. Exact same, right? Genetics plays a huge role and people forget that it's like, we're trying to reject our own genes, our own bodies, and like trying to be somebody we're not. (laughs) And I'm like, if we had, I feel like if these conversations were had when we were kids about body acceptance and like, you are short because you're short, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. You are in this body because this is how you look and this is great. And there's these people, like, I, I I'm hoping anyways, I talked to my daughter about it. My, I will be talking to my son about it as he gets older too. I'm, I'm hoping that this helps maybe curtail some of that when they're older, but mm-hmm. it's hard because I feel like we're against this like society that keeps like pushing it in their faces. Right. It's like <laughs> all their toys and all of the media, like the TV shows, the kids watch. Um, yeah. It's yeah. only so long you can kind of like protect them from that, I guess. Yeah, I do. I have hope for the next generation though. Cause I, you know, I feel like we're already having so many more conversations than our parents' generation had. I mean, just talking in this conversation, talking about like pelvic floor dysfunction and the reality of all the things that happen after giving birth, that was the thing our parents' generation didn't talk about. And there's a reason why all of us are being taken by surprise. And, you know, we have this subpar care because it was never talked about. So now it's like emerging like this new issue. So yes, you know, I think- we still have the media and the social pressure, but I think that this generation and I think the next generation will be even more better equipped to counter that. Hopefully. That's, <laughs> I think that's it too. I think there's also really like, I am amazed at the power of social media because I have learned something from social media myself as a physio. I've learned things from social media that I have directly applied to myself, my life, my, my pregnancies, the position I birthed in. It was totally social media. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if I'm learning all of this stuff, there are people out there who need to learn this information, whether it's because they can't afford to pay for care, whether it's because they live in a community where there's like no physios or no, nobody like this is a, not a conversation. Right. Or in a country where like, this would never even like, I I have people messaging me from different countries being like, you know, I can't get help for this leaks here. My doctor just says, this is how it is. And that when I'm older, I'll have to have a hysterectomy or this surgery. And it's heartbreaking, but it's also, I feel like we receive substandard care because women have always been seen as substandard people, right? It's like, we're, we're not receiving necessary substandard care. We're receiving the care that they white males think that we deserve. Right. So in that until we change that, we're not going to change the care that we deserve yeah. that we, that we get. And like, you know, my, I have a few friends who, whose partners have had vasectomies and I'm like, and they're like, just saying, oh my gosh, there's this detailed instructions on what to do. Yeah. Like everything is so informed. And like, they're like, oh, if you need to take a little bit more time off work, it's okay. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. Like, this is how much we like baby are like men and women are just supposed to just snap back. Right. It's, and I think if you don't 
if you as a person aren't bothered by it or aren't upset or angered by that, or just even if you don't think that's a problem, I think you yourself have a lot of work to do in unlearning that, you know, patriarchal model. And that's what I see a lot in my community is there's people who just are still in that. And we would not be a good fit to work together because they do not they have so much work to be done before they can get there. Yeah, sure. I can give them the exercises and all of that stuff. But the way that I support people is more than just here's a few exercises. It's a full kind of holistic approach and a lot of coaching. And I really think that people have to be ready for that. It's like any type of coaching, right? Is if, if you, if the student arrives ready, like they're just a sponge and they learn and they grow and, and same with the teacher, like it's a, it's a relationship right between the physio and the, or the coach and the, the, the client is we are learning from each other, what works best for, for that person. And I don't know off the top of my head, what three exercises are going to work best. Cause there's a billion exercises you could do for any muscle in the body. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of like, Oh, what's the best exercise for like, uh, for my leaks. I'm like, probably not exercising and probably drinking more water. Right. It's like getting back to the basics. And, you know, I will say if you're somebody who deals with leaks, you know, one in three women have dealt with leaks mm-hmm. and 50% of people post vaginal birth will have a prolapse. of people who've had a baby past 35 weeks of pregnancy will end up with a diastasis recti. So these are all very, very common. They're not unheard of. Some people are so unaware of their pelvic floor. They don't even realize they have a prolapse, which in some ways is a good thing. They don't have to overthink it, but even just the fact that people are terrified to look down their postpartum, I'm like, it's a part of your body Mm -hmm. and you've never looked because there's this feeling of dirtiness associated with it. Right. And it's like, there's so much shame associated with our, our pelvic floor and our pelvic area as women. And I really do think that we need to be empowered ourselves and just say like, I don't, I'm not waiting for society to tell me that I'm not dirty because I know I'm not. I know that this is a beautiful part of my body that is amazing. That has stretched to this big to let this baby out. Or my (laughs) abs have stretched open and cut open. Like that is incredible what our bodies can do. And for people to say that it's anything but that I think is, it's just like, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me, but it exists. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just keep like, all I've been thinking as I've been listening to you is just like, you're putting humanity and dignity into postpartum care. And like instinctually, I want to say back into, but it was never there. So it's not, it's not, I just say back into it, but like, even the fact that you, you see your clients virtually, like after like knowing all of the poking and prodding and, you know, touching and everything that goes on when you are pregnant and afterwards, and then you've got the kid touching you everywhere. Right. And it's like, it must be such a relief for someone to contact you and realize, oh my gosh, we can just do this virtually. And I don't have to be touched again. And I don't have to, you know, just, I just feel like that's, I think that's it. Like, because otherwise you spend the first session, just letting them get comfortable with you touching them. What are they gaining out of that? They're walking home with nothing. They're walking home with being told, oh, you have a prolapse. That's how I walked home. I was feeling really great going into my pelvic floor assessment. I felt a bit of heaviness, but I wasn't too concerned because I was like, I had a great birth. I had a home birth, no tears, like feeling good. But literally after the diagnosis was given, 
it was like spiraling downward Google rabbit hole. Oh my gosh, what is happening? Oh my gosh. Like, I guess I didn't have a good birth. And when I go back, I'm like, no, I still had an amazing birth. I just didn't receive the support that I needed postpartum. And that is not throwing shade to my physio or anything. It's just that that was, that was a standard of care. And I want to elevate that. And I want to say that is not enough. It is not right to diagnose somebody at six weeks postpartum with a prolapse, wait at least three months, let their body do the natural healing. It's meant to, why do we, what do, what do they get out of that diagnosis? Do they get stronger or less symptomatic? No. You know, it's like, I understand if everything's literally falling out, maybe they would benefit from a pessary or a device or something. But for most people who have a stage one or even a stage two, wait for that diagnosis. Same with a diastasis recti. Like you're barely six weeks postpartum. What's the need to diagnose or measure? Like give it time. We know strength training takes like minimum three months. Never mind if you're not sleeping well or eating well, it's going to take longer. If you're breastfeeding, your estrogen levels are lower. Like you're, that's going to, that's going to affect things too. So I really think that there's a lot of just the way physios work. I'm I am a physio, but I often think I'm like, I don't even like to say that I'm a physio because it's, there's such a patriarchal model, even in physiotherapy, like, oh, I know best do these exercises. Like I'm going to diagnose you by telling you what's wrong with your body. And it's like, why don't we start telling people what's right with their bodies first? Right. Like I will literally be like, oh my gosh, you can squat so well. Like that's really good. And no matter what I'm telling them what they're good at, because it's obvious there's, they're going to be weak, weaker than it's, that is obvious to me. And everyone's like, oh, am I really weak? And I'm like, you're where you're where you're supposed to be, right? Like yeah. you are exactly where you're supposed to be. And I like how Marissa, how, like how you put it. I'm like, I'm going to use that tagline is like putting humanity back into, you know, pregnancy and postpartum is it's missing. We're seen as like a bobble, like just like a non-person with just a pelvis walking yeah. into their appointments, ultrasounds. There's no, like, how are you, you know? Oh, you were almost run over by a car crossing the street. You must be really stressed. Like, are you okay? Instead it's like, hi, feeling good. All right. Ultrasound. Yeah. And so open up. Yeah. Gosh, right. And open up. Oh my gosh. Don't even yeah. get me started with like pregnancy and all of the lack of consent around the checks and stuff, mm-hmm. which is a huge reason, reason I went for home birth with midwives. I was like, there's just more I can control in this environment. This is more, co- I'm more comfortable here. But again, that's not something that most people want these days because it's just not normalized. Right. It's, it's seen as like risky. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people even necessarily think that it's a viable option. I don't yeah. think that people encouraged. Or it, yeah. yeah, it's, um, yeah. Most people think that that's something that like, if you live on like a hippie commune or something, exactly. Like, I'm like, I'm like, I am not, a, I'm like, I'm just terrified of like the honest truth is I'm just terrified of needles and hospitals. And I think that people often go there to die. So I'm like, I do not want to be in that environment hearing beeps. And I worked at hospital at a hospital. I worked in the emergency department. I worked in labor and delivery. I know how it's like my mother-in-law is a labor and delivery nurse. And she was like, if you can avoid the hospital, avoid it because it is, there's going to be interventions. The local hospitals have a 97, 96 and 97% intervention rate, which means when you're going in, you're either getting an epidural and episiotomy vacuum suction, some kind of intervention done to you that is not essential. And they will tell you it's essential because that's how they're trained. They, you don't even know that you have an option to decline it. 
Yeah. Like I have so many clients who are like, yeah, you know, they augmented with Pitocin, which is like just to speed things up. Yep. I'm like, just okay. wait, like your just babies convenient. will just yeah. take time. And there's no like, oh, it has to go this way or this speed. And I'm like, that's because that person's shift was ending and they wanted to speed it up. And it's, they push you towards C-section because it's, they pay, get paid more and it's more controlled for them. Right. Because they don't have to worry about it. They can just control when they go in and schedule you in. And the, the fact is, I think that options should be good, given to women. I think options should, well, if you want a C-section, go for it, but it's not informed. There's no information provided behind that. So you're going in with thinking this is the best option for you. And if you're completely informed and you make that decision, great, but it's just, they're withholding information. And so you believe that that is the best option for you or the only option for you. And I think that is, that's, that's a big problem that I see is, and people will respect their doctors over me. They'll respect their doctors over whoever else. There's just such a respect for doctors. And I think that I respect an OB for, if I could never cut open a they, they're fantastic what they do, but they're not fantastic at diagnosing pelvic floor issues right. or strength or what a woman's body is able to do. Like my midwife said, women will come to me at six weeks pregnant. You know, you just did the pee, pee on the stick. You come in and their first thing is like, oh yeah, I could never deliver without an epidural. And she's like, how do you even know what your body can handle? You've never even been through labor, but you've just seen it in movies and seen it in shows and heard every single horror story from your friends and, you know, relatives. And so you think it's going, going to be impossible. And I'm like, the whole thing is it's again, a very male oriented approach is that women, you can't do this without me going in and doing yep. this for you. Of course you can't do it. So I'm going to control this for you. And mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about that too, because I do think pain control should 100% be given to anybody who demands it or wants it because it's yeah. your body you choose but it's this feeling of women are going into pregnancy, already having their agency stolen from them. They're like self sense of self control, self, like their body strength yeah, gone. You are, you're already going into it, assuming that you can't handle it, then that's going to be your outcome. Right. So during my first pregnancy and like, I wish, I wish I talked about this more when I never had babies, because you would have heard somebody who's very insecure, anxious. Um, I was terrified of dying during childbirth. I saw way too many movies. I was like, I, I, I didn't think I could do this. And so what I did is I, one of my friends, Nikki, she was, she shared to me, Oh yeah. Birth is awesome. I I can't wait to do it again. That was the only person who spoke of it, spoke about it like that. And that stood out to me. I was like, why? I want to know more she had a home birth. She had midwives. She told me everything. She told me which books to read. Mm -hmm. And I did everything she told me. And I had the same type of outcome and it could be chance, but it, I think is also in what, how you prepare and, you know, in tribal communities, in other parts of the, the world where childbirth is more respected, more supported by other women and doulas and midwives and community birth is like that. It is natural and normal. And of course, there's always cesareans that are still going to need to happen. There's still going to be interventions. That's never going to change. But does it need to be 33% C-section rates? Does it need to be 96% intervention rates? You know, like, you know, that I, I think that alone is a big reason of 
for postpartum depression and anxiety and suicide. Like there's a huge risk. That's the number one cause of maternal death postpartum is suicide, right? It's like, it's when you think about it, all of this is how many of these factors play into it? Because it's not one cause, right? And I think that if you are treated for nine months as a frail human being who can't do anything without needing all of these extra tests and extra hands on you, that's how you're going to feel. And I think that goes, translates a lot to your postpartum feeling of helplessness in, you know, caring for your baby. I have to ask somebody else when they need to sleep. I have to ask somebody else how, how much they need to be fed rather than trusting your body and your intuition. So, Uh you know, all of it, I think ties in together. And my scope of practice is not midwifery or doula or any of that, but how I use that approach in my, my, my practice is giving people that sense of like intuition for their own bodies. Oh, you're stiff here. So do you need a physio treatment or a massage, or do you need something like movement that you can mm-hmm. just move your body and, you know, try that. And so you're not, because other things, you know, hands-on care is fantastic. It's never going to go away, but again, don't give your agency away to other people all the time. You have it within you. You can do things within you to feel better right then and there. So uh-huh. that's the kind of a, I guess, approach that I use. And I find that it works really well with, you know, my clients because they love it. They love feeling like, wow, for the first time I'm heard, I don't have to like prove my point. I, you just believe me and you just, you know, listen. And, um, you know, if somebody's who's listening to this either is pregnant or postpartum and wants to connect, I'd be happy to support you or connect with you or link with you with resources. But if you're a professional listening to this, you know, I think it's important to understand that we are not experts. We are like guides, right? We are like navigators. Like I I help you get from point A to point B, but you're doing the driving, you're doing the work of getting there. And if we hit a roadblock, I might help you navigate around it, but you might find a better route. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's not going to be me doing everything. It's, it's both of us. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my work and what I do now, I support people virtually through one-on-one consults. And once they're at the point where maybe they don't have as many symptoms or they're better managed, I, um, have my base fitness membership base stands for be active, strong, and energized. So that is my goal for people who are part of it, whether they're trying to conceive pregnant postpartum in the first couple of years, or I have moms who are five to 10 years postpartum. I also have my mom in my base fitness Ooh. membership. My grandmother, she was diagnosed with osteoporosis. And I was like, we need to get you on strength training now. And so she's been doing it for six months and she's feeling so much better herself. And I, I coach the workouts and I send it to people so they can do it on their own time. And I give modifications or variations for pregnancy, postpartum for people with pain so that they're able to learn, okay, this is what feels good for my body. And they're quick, they're 30 to 35 minute workouts. You get one new one a week. So it's not like 18 billion workouts to choose from. It takes the guesswork out of it. So they just do this this week. And then next week it switches and I program full body movement so that it's not just core and pelvic floor, which is what you're typically going to get when you see a pelvic physio. It's you're not lifting your baby with your pelvis. You're lifting them with your arms and your legs. So, you know, it's important to strengthen the whole body. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I support people right now. I have some people who are, who only worked with me in the membership and some who are doing both. And, um, I also have my postpartum return to exercise program prep, which is an eight week live coaching program. 
I launched that last year. I ran it three times. I ran it once this year. I'll probably run it again this fall. Um, and it's, it's more like that mom group, right? Because it's everyone's meeting live, you know, over the course of eight weeks, we have a bunch of live sessions. We have a bunch of pre-recorded sessions. There's usually a guest speaker that comes in to talk about, you know, either nutrition or mental health or some other linked, you know, topic that they're interested in. And it's a very powerful way for people to see each other in this journey and know that like, they're not alone and that other people are going through it with them. Um, and yeah, I've had people from all over the world just sign up for that program. So I've had like four different time zones on it and it's so cool. I love running it. Um, but I'm holding off for the summer. Last summer I ran it as a mistake because people were like traveling and not able to like give it their be present through it all. And so I'm going to wait till the fall to run my next round of prep. So that's awesome. That sounds like such an incredible opportunity for folks. Um, do you have, um, a newsletter that folks can sign up for too, so they can kind of hear about when things are being absolutely launched and coming up. All right, great. Cause we can link that in the show yeah. notes too. I send it out weekly and I like writing. I like talking clearly. I talked a bunch today. Um, so I share resources, tips, my weekly newsletter. My, I have a podcast mom strength, which I started in July and just released episode, I think 31. Um, Congrats. Thank you. It is it's amazing to be able to share our message. I know you, both of you will probably see the same, you know, share a message with people in so many different ways, yeah. podcast, newsletter, Instagram, um, Instagram's where I usually hang out. I'm not usually on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, but I'm not usually on it. Um, and if people want to connect with me, yeah, send me a DM on Instagram. Let me know you heard this podcast or who you are and we can connect and let's see if either you need any support or you just want to hang out on my page and learn some more. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really such a pleasure and I learned so much and I learned so much from your Instagram page. Um, so thank you so much for sharing and for being a real breath of fresh air, um, for the folks who need your help and want your help. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And as you probably see, I can talk about this topic forever, <laughs> literally. Um, and yeah, I'm just so grateful that you have this platform and that you invited me to share my area of expertise. I hope that this reaches people who maybe had no idea that this support even existed for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think this is definitely going to appeal to a lot of folks and hopefully change the thinking for a lot of folks too. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise and, and just your, your mission with us. This has been such a cool conversation. Thank you. This has been an episode of the strong and simple podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics we've discussed or about any of our guests, please make sure that you visit us on Instagram at strong and simple podcast. And if there's ever any topics, questions, concerns, anything that you would like to suggest to us, please feel free to email us at strong and simple podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.
content of this podcast represents the views and opinions of Michelle Farrell, Marissa Zabo, and their guests, and is not intended to be individualized advice or recommendations. Nothing in this episode is to be construed as medical advice or to substitute for individualized fitness or nutrition advice. Always consult with the appropriate professional for your own needs.